Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast, not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben, I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 29. Tonight, we're gonna be talking about fending off loneliness. And as I've been thinking about this, the topic is very near and dear to my heart because I hated being lonely. And quite honestly, I still think that I do. But what's different for me this time is that I'm never really lonely. And I can be alone without feeling lonely. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that not only have I been on this journey for self-discovery and self-awareness and self-love, so I don't mind the person that I'm with anymore, but also I have this amazing fellowship. And so guys, what are your thoughts here on this topic of fending off loneliness? I think when you know, you start to go through recovery, you are becoming a different person. So you're discovering uh, new interests, you're probably losing friends in some regards and gaining friends in others. And you're just becoming a whole new person. And a lot of people use to socialize and through that using or um, drinking, they quote unquote, make friends with people who are doing the same thing. And then you're in this whole new realm of reality, right? You're in recovery and you don't really associate with people, places or things. And as you're becoming and rediscovering the person you are, sometimes it can be lonely because a lot of it is you're left for the first time in your own thoughts. And you're a lot of the times just by yourself. And like you said, you know, hopefully you get to a point where being by yourself is okay and doesn't make you feel lonely. But in the beginning, it sometimes can. So I think through this process, that's kind of the uh, progression that I've gone through is feeling lonely, being by myself to embracing being by myself. And that makes me really have time to reflect and be present. That's a good point on losing old friends through recovery. So have you done that? Have you gone through your friends list and selected the people that you want to keep in your life? Or has it kind of happened naturally, Chris? For me, I think it's happened more naturally. And I think it's been almost the opposite. I think uh, I burnt a bunch of bridges with certain friends. Um, Some of them, I don't even know why they don't talk to me as in, I don't think they knew I went to rehab. But through the silence, I'm assuming they found out and maybe knowing that I went a second time um, caused them not to speak to me anymore. But other friends, you know, kind of through natural selection. However, I would say I've gained some close, close friends through this process. And the people that are still there for me are people that I can always rely on. And, you know, people I talk to daily now, I'm closer with than some people that I've known for the last 20 years because I talk to them about actual real life stuff, real life content. And I, I dive deep into conversations with them. And I can't remember previously when I've done that. I totally understand that, Chris. So Ben, 
what about you? Have you noticed your circle of people getting tighter or uh, people have come in or out of your life? Uh, it's a mix of both. Um, so I never ran with any kind of crowd. I was the, I was the only addict I ever knew, um, that my family ever knew, that my friends ever knew. Um, and I kept it such a secret that, you know, it, it was such a big shock to everybody. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't lose really any friends. Like they were all there to support me. Um, you know, I think li life happens, you know, I think, and what Chris was talking about where you lose certain people. And I think, you know, some of that is just life. You get married, you have kids, you're just on totally different levels of, of responsibility. And, you know, the, the parents that understand what it's like to drop your kid off in sweatpants at 730 in the morning, you know, that's just a different life than people, than some people. But, you know, in terms of recovery, the, that network has definitely grown, um, it's we, before we started recording, we were talking about people we were in rehab with and I had saved them all with the, uh, the name, the name of the institution we went to. And I don't, not only do I not talk to them, I, I don't remember, I don't remember like 80% of them. And it's a little disappointing, I think, because they were, such a big part of my life at that time. But, um, but no, going, going to your, the, the original question of how to fend off loneliness, I was a big isolationist when it came to drinking. Um, and I was a big isolationist when it just, like, I just wanted to kind of be by myself, even when I wasn't drinking. I, I don't, I can't really give you a good reason as to why, but you know, the, the thing that helps me fend that off the most now is, is definitely daily meet, uh, daily, my daily meeting in the morning where there is that sense of community where it's different than with you guys because you guys were like, were like you know, four just foster brothers that were thrown together and somehow we put up with each other. Um, and, and, you know, the... The, the room or the fellowship is a different, it, it's a different type of, I feel a different type of responsibility to them. It's, it's like a family, but it's, it's like the extended family almost. Like you guys are the brothers, they're the, the cousins and the aunts and the uncles that you don't want to let down. But um, yeah, it, it's, uh, to your original question about that network growing or shrinking, the original, the original group has stayed the same for the most part. In fact, it's probably gotten stronger, I think, because I think it definitely made us realize that you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, it was me just going to rehab, but, you know, you, you just, you don't, you don't want to take those relationships for granted. And I think that's helped me connect with uh, uh, my group of close friends even better. Um, but then the, um, the, my recovery network is, is obviously growing and and the people that stay around longer those relationships grow and get stronger and stronger and stronger like Chris said where you're you're talking about real shit we're not just like sitting here talking about types of fast food well we do but in between that we, we talk about some real life stuff and that's that's a different type of connection that I, I don't know if I had before
I think that's a, a great point. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard in the rooms is that, you know, this, this is tricky stuff. You know, being in recovery is not easy. And I know for me, when I tried to do this by myself, when I didn't have a sponsor, I wasn't doing the steps, I wasn't in any kind of recovery program, I wasn't trying to make friends in the rooms uh, that I was going to, I was just going at this alone. And that made it feel so much more isolating than what it had to be. Because when I started to open up to people and let people into my world, I found this difference and I, I didn't feel so alone. You know, I, I always felt before that I was so unique. And I want to talk a little bit about this idea of terminal uniqueness that comes with recovery. Because at least for me, my I, I suffered from terminal uni uniqueness, which really for me is that I'm the only one that has this story. I'm the only one who has to travel this path. I'm the only one who has to fight these battles. And that's not true. I mean, just looking at the screen right now, it shows that and proves that. But there are millions of us, millions of us in recovery today. And I know that for me, it was so hard to connect with people because I didn't trust them. But once I did, I found this new freedom in recovery. So I guess my question is, do you or have you suffered from terminal uniqueness? And if so, how did you get through that to be able to start connecting with other people? We've said on this podcast, or I've said on this podcast many times that you're not really special. And I say that jokingly, but you're not unique. And I say you, the collective you, but all our stories are very different, but all the same. And, you know, if you go to any meeting, any type of meeting, they'll say you're, you might be from different places, but the emotions are all the same. You might be, have a different way that you got here, but the emotions behind the disease are the same. And when you're in active addiction, it is very easy. Most people do think they're unique, special, poor me. And, you know, the world is against me. And then you get to recovery and it's the complete opposite. It's you have this community supporting you and, you know, you're surrounded by positivity, good feelings. It's not easy. I, I agree with that statement. It's not easy, but the support is there. And to answer your question about terminal uniqueness, when you get out and can start, I think that once you start relating to people, actually listening to people and not just speaking and talking about yourself, you start to connect with people. And when you start to connect with people, you not only lose that, hey, you know, I'm unique in this world, you lose that sense of loneliness as well, but you start to actually engage and create friendships and have positive connections. The idea that you just brought up, Chris, about relating and not so much comparing, for me, I don't, I didn't see that. Um, I, yeah, I, I come at it from a different angle than you guys because I don't, 
uh, have relapsed in my story yet, as they say. Um, but for me, it was like that, that relation, you know, came, I think it was the Sunday that I was in rehab. Um, after I tried, after Saturday, I tried to talk my way out and they wouldn't let me go. Um, and this girl's talking in the newcomers meeting and she's sharing this story. And like, I remember on Saturday talking to the therapist and telling her like, no, it's about like my personality disorders and my narcissism and my, my manipulation and all this stuff. And then this girl's telling this very powerful story. She's terribly emotional. And I think her mother had committed suicide or her, boyfriend I forget what it was just this horribly tragic story and I'm listening and she's like folding in all of the things that I was talking about like being able to con people and manipulate and I was like wait a second this is like this is really weird I don't I don't understand it like I'm relating to her and I don't I didn't understand why and I eventually found out through rehab you know the whole point but the thing that I kind of started thinking about was, you know, I think if you look at the way, you know, the program that, that, that I work is, um, is, you know, they tell you, you know, 90 and 90. I think the reason they tell you 90 and 90 is one of the, yes, it is habit forming, but it's also, if you just keep coming back, you're going to hear your story at some point, you know, and, and, and they talk about that in, uh, you know, the big book, of Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about, you know, if you had my problems, you'd drink too, you know, and, and that idea of terminal uniqueness. And so for that story to kind of be, uh, you know, re relayed from the, you know, the late 30s, and again, it's just one more example of how this problem is has been this way forever. So I think it's just more of, of a thing of, I never went through that idea that, like, you you couldn't possibly understand how hard my life is. It was because I went through it at, at, at the time that I did, it was just eye opening. And it was like, oh my goodness, I relate to all these people. These people understand me on a level that I don't know if anybody else really ever understood me. And, and so, yeah, I, I so I'm, I'm fortunate in that sense because I, 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 I never go back to that because I never had it in the first place. I never thought I was terribly unique. Um, and it's the, and, and again, the idea of, coming back every, like just coming back every single day you heard your story enough through a bunch of different people and it was like oh, okay they're right there's no part of me that's unique because i they're, like there's just not it can't be coincidence yeah. that's fascinating that you talked about that and not being able to say that you were comparing yourself to people um, because I remember a couple episodes ago on how much judgment you had for the people in the room. And so I really want to relate it to that in the sense that as you were working through that, I see that as like a way that you were uh, comparing yourself to them. And, you know, you worked through that judgment, but I see that as a comparison, you know, and something, I mean, when we talk about, I can relate to you, another way to put that is, I have empathy for you. I know what you're going through, because 
you know, you both said this, that if I don't have the same story, I sure as hell had the same feelings of shame and guilt and desperation. And something that I really had to work through for me is that that shame and that guilt and that feeling of like, I deserve this. I deserve to be alone. I deserve to be lonely because I have fucked up my life so much. I've fucked up the life of my family. I've fucked up previous relationships. Why would anyone want to be with me? I don't even want to be with myself. And so I had to get through this, this idea that not only was I in good company, as we're talking about, but that I don't deserve to be lonely. And loneliness is a choice. Loneliness is a choice for us. Because at the end of the day, we have each other to reach out to. And I've heard this many times before, you know, the phone always seems to feel like it's, you know, a 1000 pounds. But the moment that I'm able to text somebody, call somebody, show up at a meeting, or even just go out to coffee with someone or something social, I'm not alone anymore. Now, I want to kind of tie this to another thought is through my recovery program, I have developed this new relationship with a higher power. And if I truly believe that I have this higher power, which I do, which I do call God, people can call it whatever they want. You know, my concept of a higher power is energy. It's it's not the uh, the Christian Catholic, you know, previous religion God that I had. Um, but if I truly believe that my higher power has my back, I'm never alone. So really being able to connect to my higher power in a different way has taken away that loneliness for me too. So what's, what's your relationship to your higher power in that sense as it relates to having someone always have your back? I think I've struggled through, I got introduced to rehab five years ago or six years ago and you know, that was kind of the first thing that got thrown at you is, all right, get a higher power. You know, you're you're not the be all and end all of the universe, which I completely agree with. If if I'm the highest power, quote unquote, and there's no God or there's no higher power, as people say, then that's pretty lame. So I definitely believe in a higher power. I think I have struggled with connecting with a church, per se. You know, you say Catholic, Christian, uh, I grew up Protestant, but all the same thing in, in a one sense. I almost want to, to connect with that church or a church because of the sense of community. And I really do connect with that sense of community. Anytime I volunteer, it's at a, uh, a Protestant church. Um, I love the people there. I love helping people. That's also why I love going to meetings. It's the sense of community. It's the sense of being part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, you know, your question is, how does a higher power give you that sense that, you know, someone has your back? I think what a higher power helps me with is, and I know this is not the, you know, the only time you should really search for your higher power, 
But when I'm really desperate and I don't know what to do and I'm in a bad mood and I'm even too upset, fearful, angry, whatever the emotion is to even call people, that's when I find myself, you know, basically looking up, you know, in that proverbial sky and just saying, you know, help me out. And even for that brief second, when I pray or I uh, talk to my higher power, it helps because I think deep down, whether he, she, it is giving me the answer, it's internal at, you know, when you actually talk to them and it definitely guides you. So the, um, the idea of a higher power was something that I really tried to get in rehab because it was like, this is really big. These steps after you've admitted you're an alcoholic or you have no control for me that again, the first step was relatively easy because it was like, Hey, you're in rehab. So one pretty much already there, but two and three. And I remember, uh, Chris, you probably won't remember the conversation. Um, we were in a group and we were filling out those daily journals sheets or whatever. And it's like, what's, what step am I on? And you're like, dude, as long as you're in rehab, you're working one through three. And I was like, oh, okay. So like, I was like, all right, I, I'm pretty sure I understand one. What are two and three higher power? And so I was, I was like, like the first, I'm, I'm like praying and I'm like, they, in, in the room, they had that, you know, the one chair, the jail chair, you know, and, and, you, and I, I'm just, I'm at my, on my knees praying and praying and I'm just squeezing my hands as hard as the eyes are shut. And the next day we're, we're in group and there was, we, we had, um, I forget what it, father, it was, I think father Paul gave us, uh, um, he was doing a seminar in one of the morning things and he gave us the, that, that one sheeter of like, the values, uh, uh, you know, and, and I'm still struggling. Like I, I didn't feel my higher power and, and there was a fire drill and, or a fire drill or sort of fire alarm went off. Somebody put peanut butter. Yeah. Somebody put peanut butter on, on bread and put it in the toaster. Yes. I, and so we, uh, so we're walking out and I see him walking by himself and I'm just like, you know what, let me go ahead and ask him. And I'm, I'm just like, hey, listen, I'm really not getting this thing. I was like, I tried last night. He's like, were you waiting for a feeling? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, you can stop waiting now. And I'm like, oh, he's like, yeah, it's not going to happen like that. And so it's evolved into this thing where, one, I try to do, I try to do the next right thing, whatever that is. It's just really, it's really like, hey, what's the next right thing? And then when I broke down the serenity prayer, like in third step meetings, um, it's, you know, you pray for serenity, uh, courage and wisdom. Well, those are three tangible things. Like those are three things that you can acquire over time with practice, but because they take practice, they take patience. So for me, it was literally just a matter again, of, of forming the habit of practicing patience and praying for patience and just being like, dude, I don't know if I'm going to get this today, but I'm going to try and hopefully it works. And so for me, I never really went down that route. And I've, I've, I've Jason, I've heard you know, people, um, 
it, obviously being in the, in the rooms, you, you hear people reference their higher power, you know, they choose to call God. Like, I've just never spent any time trying to label it as anything at all. And just, just for the, somebody said something in a meeting once they were like, look, I don't know about any of this, but I know that I, I went through a ton of shit and I came out on the other side and I can't explain to you why. And I couldn't explain to you how I got through it. So I'm not going to explain to you how I'm getting through this stuff now, because this stuff's way easier than when I was in the midst of my addiction. So I'm just going to keep getting through it. And, and so, yeah, so, you know, tying it into a higher power is you just have to believe in something bigger than yourself. That's it. Like, there's no other secret. Like you just, it, like at the end of the day, you can't be, I can't be the one that's making the decisions because my decision-making when I was in control was horrendous, you know, and, and it literally got me into rehab. So, so it, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, I don't, I don't come out with as much uh, definition, but it's just kind of, again, I, you know, I wish I had something more profound, but it's just, I, I, I don't want to try to explain it because I feel like me trying to explain it any further just becomes me trying to maintain control of something that I really can't explain. I think that's a great point, too. You know, we don't have control over that. Our higher power has control over us in a way. Um, you know, I want to pivot to the solution now. So we have identified what this, these feelings of loneliness are. We have really talked about how isolation is the real foundation of what our future problems are if we continue in this isolated state. You know, it really gets us closer to a drink, closer to a drug. So what do you guys do to fend off loneliness proactively? And part B of this question is, if you do feel lonely, how do you get yourself out of that? Chris, do you want to go? Yeah. Um... I think one thing I try to do, which I'm not too successful at, which I try each day to do less, is stay off social media. <laughs> and I know that sounds simple, but social media never makes me feel good about myself or about the situation I'm in. I always compare. I always uh, am jealous of something. And I know I shouldn't be. And, you know, 90% of the world probably would be jealous of things that I have, but you know, it, I could have everything in the world and I'd be jealous of, you know, the one thing I didn't on social media. And, you know, the one thing that everyone knows is social media is completely fake. So, you know, you look, you scroll through and you get this shot of uh, dopamine and it just, it, it's, it's all fake. So that's one thing I've been trying to do less and less of, uh, you know, and on the contrary to that, being outside, exercising, um, doing stuff that gives you a sense of purpose and pride. So like I said, if it, even if it's not, you know, going to the local shelter and volunteering, just progressing your family forward, whether it's like mowing the lawn or doing a project in your house, woodworking, whatever that is. I think those are things that really help my sense of 
uh, loneliness because it keeps my mind off something. If I'm truly lonely, though, a conversation is what I usually go to. So I am very proactive about calling people. So I never really go a day without calling at least three or four people. I mean, I just have this Basically, I scroll through and I have about 100 Seabrook people or, you know, in the meetings and I just flip, flick my phone and I'll click one and I'll call them. So I would say I'm very proactive in that. And that is the biggest thing I do to fend off loneliness. So I have a I have a question around the social media because, you know, on, on one hand, I agree with you. I think that people post things to make them look a certain way to the world, right? Um, the other side of that is that social media could connect us to other people. And one thing that I'm committing to by the end of the year is going through my Facebook, my Instagram, my, I don't really use Twitter, but, you know, going through my social media and taking out all of those people that I just don't connect with. And whether I added them for one reason or another, they're just there. And cleaning out my friends list to people that I just actually am friends with. Um, and, you know, so what's, what's your thought on, do you think social media could be used for that, that purpose? Yeah, I mean, social media definitely has a purpose when properly used and being self-aware. I, you know, I'm very self-aware. I've said it many times, this case of keeping up with the Joneses. I actually have been doing the same thing as you, Jason. Since I got out of rehab last year, every single day, you know how they have the birthday notifications? If I don't have your number and I'm not calling you within a year, you're just, I delete on Facebook. So I've gone down from like 1,600 friends to like literally, I think, 360. And even that list, I probably talked to 36 of them, you know, and I just felt bad about deleting some like really close old friends. But we made I'm the cut, a, Ben. Yeah, you guys Woo! made the cut. Or did you? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I agree. I mean, there's no reason for me to see about, you know, the house that Amy Schmidt bought in Arizona when I haven't talked to her for 20 years. And then, you know, I go down that rabbit hole of clicking and this and that. But to connect people, social media definitely has a purpose. I, I have a big group of family in Florida. And I, you know, I am close with them or I was close with them. And it's a good way of me being up to speed on their lives and, you know, my nieces and nephews who I don't get to see. So I do think, like you said, social media has a purpose. I just don't like when I get in that rabbit hole of sitting there for 10 minutes scrolling and seeing, you know, it, when it brings up feelings that I don't want to sit in. I totally get that. I totally get that. Ben, how about you? How are you, fending off loneliness, or if you do get lonely, how do you get out of that feeling? You know, the, uh, it's an intriguing proposition, this social media, uh, excavation, I guess we could call it. Uh, yeah, I'm an old man when it comes, I hate social media. I, I, 
I have no time for it anymore. And I used to be like the biggest on Facebook and just arguing with people. And it it was my, it was my birthday in September and I remember going on and I had like 50 notifications of people wishing me happy birthday and I'm like oh crap I forgot this was a thing like I totally forgot that these people existed and yeah I I to your point about connection I I definitely see it I it's just you know what it is for me it's like it's about validation like I, I like uh, it's not. I'm not so much sur- like trying to keep up with the Joneses or like looking what I, I'm. I'm. Try- I was trying to put stuff out to be validated by other people. It's like why do I really care? Like honestly, like I just. I just don't like. You know, it, <laughs> Chris, you got just down to three hundred and sixty. Uh, I, I. I think three sixty would be a high water mark for me. I, I don't. I yeah. I, I don't. I, I, I shouldn't say I was never a big social media person, but it's just, I don't, I don't, I, me personally, I don't have the value. I don't see the value in it for me because I, it's the, it's probably the loneliest place on earth. You, you know, you're, you're putting stuff up there to say, Hey, look, this is where I'm at. Are you though? Are you at that place of happiness? Or is is the family photo real? Are you excited to be with that group of friends that you haven't seen getting together with your besties? Are they your besties? I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. I, I I don't care what you think about me and my best friends. So I really don't like. You know, here I am in the middle of judgment. We should put this in the other episode. Um, but yeah, it, it's just. I don't, I don't want to see, I don't want to search for that validation anymore from people that, like I said, if it's a, it's a, it's a, I, you know, I, now, now I'm feeling bad because I know my grandmother's on social media and she listens to this. So she's going to think I don't like her, but I'm just kidding. Grandma, kitty, love you. Um, but yeah, no, so for me, I never, I never found connection on social media. So I never, I, I don't have to fend loneliness off there. I don't, my, starting every day with a meeting, it's really hard for me to feel lonely. It's just really hard because, and even getting in this new job and it changing the way I'm able to participate in my meetings, I'm not able to share as much as I was, um, which I think probably to the uh, pleasure of most of the people in my home group because they were just tired of me being the leadoff batter. But, you know, it's important for me to just keep that thing on because then all of a sudden you hear something and you're like, oh, right, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here because I remember being at three months and I remember feeling like that. I remember being at six months. I remember I remember what that felt like. Um, and And, yeah, there's just... But so, so in order to keep that connection going, you know, I've, I've had to find new ways to interact. So uh, um, the only meeting I can really chair this anymore is the, is the Sunday third step meeting. So I'm doing that in November. Um, but it's just, yeah, I, for me, like I'm only lonely when I want to be lonely. And usually it's the, like the end of the day when it's like, all right, this is going to be my hour to decompress. And I don't, 
I don't need people right now. I don't need anybody. Because would I, you would you say that was that's loneliness or I feel like that's not loneliness though. No, it's not. Yeah, no, it's not lonely. No, I'm not. It's that that's that's isolation. That's self-imposed isolation that I actually see as a mental health benefit. So yeah, I I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really lonely. I don't. I would even I would even call that wanting to be alone. You know, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. As long as, at least for me, if I'm not taking it to that point of isolation, you know, there are days where I'm just like, I don't want to be on my phone. I don't want to be online. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to do any work. I just want to be by myself. Yeah, I think it's if, if, if we're doing it because we're trying to avoid something that we that we have to deal with or that we should be able to deal with in a healthy way. Um, and we just rather not do it. That's when it gets problematic. And that's when we, that's, and that's how these, that's how, you know, that's how you slip closer to, to the, that first drink because that's very subtle. It's not noticed. And it's, it's just, it just starts to build that, that feeling of, Oh, I can escape if I want to, I can, I can avoid things if I want to, I don't have to have that hard conversation if I could find a way to not have it and still achieve my objective. And, and yeah, so it, it's, I, I'm, I'm very cognizant to make sure kind of like, a, a, you know, again, check, just come back to checking your motives. Like, why am I sitting, why am I sitting here watching YouTube videos for a half hour? It's, it's not because I don't want to write this paper or it's not because I don't want to hit up this meeting or I don't want to talk to somebody. It's just because I've done all of that stuff and I just need some time to decompress. So it's, yeah, lo loneliness is not a bad thing if you are honest about why you're doing it. You brought up a point about not being lonely. Do you think that when you were drinking, do you think you were lonely at that point or you just weren't yeah. cognizant oh, yeah. enough to, to realize you were lonely? No, I was an isolation drinker. So, so yeah, no, it was, I, I, yeah, I would, that's the thing. I, you know, that's a great point and a great, great, um, you know, observation that, you know, there's when, when I was in the height of my addiction, I was doing it all by myself and I was imposing that isolation because I didn't want people to be party to what they would see. And, and so now that I have this new lease on life, it's like, no, I don't want to be alone unless I actually want to be alone. Like, I don't want, I don't want, I'm not trying to hide anything from you. I just need not to talk about work spreadsheets for for like an hour if that's all right with everybody. And and so so yeah, no, I think it's probably this this fear of missing out where like I just wasn't I was never a terribly social person as you could, you know, glean from 360 being a high watermark for Facebook friends. But you know, it, it's yeah, now now it's like no, I don't, I don't when people call I, I I love it when people call. It's like, "Oh god, somebody's calling me. Oh, hey, what are we going to talk about?" So something that I was thinking about is how much I didn't feel worth making other human connection. And for anyone listening tonight, you are worth it. You are worth going out, meeting new people, making those human connections. And something, you know, just there's different ways to do that, you know, outside of meetings, outside of of any recovery program, um, 
I was talking to a fellow and he was starting to do um, the, these meetups. Have you ever heard of like the meetup meetup groups where you, I think it's an app now or something where there's these uh, groups of people and what they would do was meet up at some activity and it would already be this formed group of people that had something in, in common already. Um, I have never done them, but you know, it's something that I would be interested in because, you know, for us, sometimes it's, it's hard to, uh, strike up that conversation, but if you're already meeting in a, in a uncommon ground, you know, and if it's not in recovery, you can always talk about that thing. You know, so I, I really think that there's things outside of recovery that people can go to. I mean, I'm in a kickball league and I did it because I wanted to meet other people. You joined that after rehab, right? Because we played kickball in rehab and you were very did. good. That was, <laughs> how dare you? I mean, you were great. How <laughs> dare you? Um, the, the, it's. He's just mad because I was hitting dingers over his head. Oh my in god, softball. That was so bad. Exactly. That was so, that was so bad. Um, I'm just glad I didn't fall down in front of the girls. Whatever. Um, so the 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 point you bring up about you know getting out of that uh, comfort zone and just trying new things that that was something that like that was a hallmark of my personality from you know, being a kid. You know, I didn't want to try new things because I, I just had such anxiety, such fear about like, oh, my God, it could go horribly wrong. I, wrong. I could get made fun of. I could, you know, and, and so that ruled my life. That's really like when I when I you know take a deep dive into myself, that's where I can kind of trace things back to that. I was always afraid. And I was there was always this anxiety and my drinking was was a way to medicate that anxiety. And so now it doesn't that that anxiety, it's it, it anxiety still exists, but for me, it's something that I can deal with in a, in a healthy way that allows me to do things that I never would have done before, and and so it's it's kind of it's a it's very uh, I'm 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 glad that I've gone through this because I see these things in my oldest daughter. She she um, doesn't really want to play soccer on a team but she loves playing soccer with me but it's that anxiety she's she's she she's got anxiety and and so it's it's just about creating you know this this environment for her to be able to express that stuff that i never had that's really the stuff that i'm taking for my recovery is that i when i was 10 11 12 years old i didn't have a an outlet to talk about what i was feeling feeling and so you know, when we talk about our addiction, it always goes back to like when we talk about what we're connected to, like what makes us all the same is those is those emotions. But it's also those emotions that our inability to deal with those emotions in a healthy way. And so I might have to join this uh, this kickball league that you're you're talking about, because it sounds like a good time. Well, you know, I think this is a perfect place to stop tonight. My my final words are this, you know, like I said before. Anyone listening, you are worth human connection. You do have something to bring to the party. You know, you really do. And that's your experience 
And at the end of the day, if there's anyone that you want to connect with, reach out to them. If you don't know who to connect with or you don't know how, reach out to us. Send us an email. Shoot us a message on, on Instagram or Facebook. And we would love to connect with you and get to know you. And as always, tonight's episode is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a good night, guys. Have a good night. Have a good night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.